Justice Tech Pros here. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank uh, Fr Frank Morano for having me on his show last week. Uh, I thought it was a great conversation. Uh, I appreciated the opportunity, so I just wanted to formally thank him on the podcast. Uh, if you search Frank Morano, uh, you'll see the different time slots he has, and I, I really recommend tuning in. The guy's got a great show. He's got a great perspective, uh, offers a lot of different um, guests on that, you know, is informative, uh, keeps you up to date on to talk a lot about current events and things going on. And I just find it very engaging, very entertaining. It's a good show to catch. So today I wanted to um, touch on something that I found interesting and I believe the listeners will find interesting. And again, I always try to evaluate things and talk about them even if the listeners don't agree with my point of view. It's good just to give it and then you know have them decide for themselves what they think about what I'm laying out. But I do give my uh, personal experience with things, and I try to support it with my thought process on why I have concluded the way I have, and why I have formed certain opinions that I have formed. And again, you know, as I always say, I've been saying since November, I can't believe I've been doing this since November. Today's episode 40, actually, and I covered a lot of things, but I always say, you know, I'm not here to um, convince anybody. I'm, I'm not here to get anybody to agree with what I'm saying or to see things the way I say, I just explain my perspective and I'm hoping that it enhances listeners' knowledge base, you know, and it exposes certain things that take place that they just wouldn't be aware of. And I have found that it does appeal to a lot of open-minded individuals, people who aren't uh, set in their ways one way or another on the topics that I discuss and they're open to hear about, you know, different viewpoints, uh, different examples and what takes place. So that I appreciate. When you're dealing with an open-minded individual who has intelligence and is willing to see all sides and then make a, a formed opinion, that's all you could ask for. Because my hope is that, you know, you, you, I may catch some jurors, I may set, catch some potential jurors or current jurors, and they may hear something on this that will just give the justice system as a whole more of a chance to play out the way it's supposed to play out and not the way, you know, is where it gets tainted and not the way where the government or the state wants it to play out. Because the facts, as I always say, the facts should lead to a verdict and the evidence should lead to a verdict, not smoke and mirrors and not trickery. You know, as long as you find somebody either guilty or they're acquitted based on what you believe and what you feel is beyond a reasonable doubt, then you can't ask for more than that. Whether you agree with the verdict or not, you just can't ask for more than that if the juror is going by the facts of the case, going by the evidence of the case. That's all you could really ask for. And to, you know, more often than not, that just doesn't take place, and that's how this whole thing came about. I'm trying to do my part. It may be a very small part, but we all try to do what we can to change something if we see there is an error in a process. And this is my contribution to that. Uh, this week, I, I like to give a little bit of background, you know, how I come up with ideas that I do want to discuss. And this week, I was reviewing the minutes to the sentencing for David Evangelista. Um, if you don't know who that is, in my past episodes, I spoke about him. He was a liar. I can't even call him an informant because, as I said, whether or not you agree with an informant is irrelevant to me. But if somebody's an, an informant, 
at the very least, they owe the judicial system, they owe the government, they owe the state, they owe the defendant, they owe the Constitution the, the right to, to tell the truth. So as long as they tell the truth, that's what you want to have happen. If, if that's their goal and they choose to be an informant, they at least have an obligation to tell the truth. When they lie, I won't even call them informants, really. It's the wrong term. The only term is they're just a liar. So this this past liar, David Evangelista, he was a uh, a liar on that they called that the government called on my father's case. So I, I was reading, and I'm sure he's going to testify in other cases. I mean, I, I don't really know the guy's history. I know he was a uh, like an undercover informant feeding them information. So I don't know the damage he's done with his lies, what extent it has. But I'm sure it's I'm sure it's very involved. And I'm sure it ha he left a lot of people in his wake with his lies. But on this particular one, I was just reading the minutes. And what I found interesting, to say the least, is I started to notice a common theme that the prosecutor does um, when they're talking about an informant. Prior to a person being an informant, the prosecutor, you know, if, if the, the individual is a defendant... The prosecutor will define their alleged crimes in the most heinous of ways and the most dark of ways to really get the point across of how how bad, for lack of a better term, the, the crimes were. You know, this guy, for one example, I want to give you, this guy was a bank robber. So I'm sure when he was first arrested, and I didn't pull it, but you could pull anybody who robs a bank, you could pull their minutes and you could pull the, the prosecution of the state side and how they describe it. You know, they talk about how it's a violent act and how they're robbing a bank and they're scaring people inside and they're threatening people inside. But yet, when this person is now working for the government or working for the state, they change that description. If you notice, they'll lighten it a lot and they'll focus on, well, it's not a violent crime. Nobody got hurt. Um, there was no violence involved. And I find that fascinating. First off, <clears throat> just forget about the fact that they're changing it for a minute. How do they know it's not violent in the sense that it could be mentally disturbing to somebody? It can mentally scar somebody. Think about the bank teller who was in there. He or she, how nervous they were, how scared they were. Now you want to minimize that because the guy's working for you. And they do that time and again. If you notice what a defendant, if they get a defendant before, before they become, uh, before they start working for them, They'll always really go over the top. They'll talk about how evil the person is. And they'll talk about, you know, all these crimes and how bad these crimes were. But then once they switch sides and the person starts playing for Team America, starts playing for the state, or they're using that individual's testimony, they'll really water it down. And it's almost, you know, I don't know if it's allowed on the legal end. I don't see why it wouldn't be. But if I was an attorney, I would grab the allegations and the statements made in court before the person turned informant and I would read the transcript of how they were described by even the judge let's say or by the prosecutor and how their crimes were described and then I would read when they're appearing to receive a sentence on their behalf you know leniency after they've done their job and they've cooperated and they helped secure a conviction I would compare and contrast those two testimonies and those two statements given and arguments given by the uh, state or prosecutor. And I would just show the jury how it changes. You know, in one breath, the beginning, when they're on the defendant's side of the table, the description used is always harsh and it's always, you know, 
very detailed and it elaborates on the heinous acts and how it affects society and how it's um, terrible and, you know, they go on and on. And then once they switch sides, the whole entire narrative changes. And I would read that. I would read each one only, if nothing else, just to show the jury how things change, how it's basically what plays out and the description of somebody and the description of their acts changes based on what they're trying to accomplish for the government. So if they're trying to help the government, everything's downplayed. Everything is watered down and everything's made light of and minimalized. But if they're not, it's really exaggerated. It's really, the tone is set that you're dealing with a very dangerous person uh, who's capable of very harmful and evil acts. Now, to me, I find that very interesting because the way I look at it is if you're going to take a stand on something, take a stand and ride it through to the end. So if you believe somebody's not a good person, you believe their acts are horrible, say it the whole time. Say it whether they're a defendant, say it within their, whether they're working for the government, say it throughout every stage, at least stand by your convictions. But when you flip-flop like that, to me anyway, you lose a lot of credibility because you're, you're going with, you know, you're blowing with the wind. Whatever you're trying, whatever goal you're trying to seek, that's what you're going to put portray. That's what you're going to put out there. So when you start flip-flopping, you really can't have credibility, and you can't really, you can't really give somebody, you know, much weight when they talk like that and they switch things up so often, depending on what they're trying to achieve. If you feel somebody's bad, say they're bad the whole time. You know, when you get these high-profile, you know, you'll get. For example, you get exa- uh, some members, let's say, who are accused members of organized crime. When they're when they're defendants and they're going to trial, I mean, they're painted like really, really horrible individuals. And then the second they sign up, sign up for Team America, the whole narrative changes. You know, they, they'll minimize their crimes, and you don't have to take my word for it. Just read the testimonies. What I want you to do is read the te- read the statements. Read the arguments given when these individuals are defendants, and then read them when they're cooperating. Every one of their acts will be watered down. Every one of their, you know, uh, criminal activities or anything they were part of when they were defendant, you know, it's the worst of the worst. They're painted in a bad way. They're called sociopaths. They're called all these names. Evil. Once they start cooperating, that whole shift takes place. You'll see everything is is vague and everything is more geared towards uh, what they're doing now and they're really a good person. But yet when they're dealing with them on the defendant side, you'll hear statements like they're incapable of being a good person. Again, they're they're you know a psychopath, whatever whatever it may be. So that right there no alone would raise a ton of flags for me as a common individual. I'm seeing them. And, and you can't fault the jurors because they're not seeing that. They're not seeing what takes place before. They're not seeing what was said before. So if it's possible, if I was an attorney, I would pull all of that and I would just read it and I would say, isn't it true, you know, so-and-so that you were described when you were defendant as violent, as, you know, erratic? I would go, I'd go into the whole details. And then I would say, and isn't it true afterwards you were described in this matter? Just show... The contradicting statements just show the hypocrisy. I really believe that would resonate a lot with jurors. People on a whole, they don't like hypocritical individuals. So when they see that take place, they're going to get turned off and maybe it's going to open their eyes a little bit that, wait a minute, one day this guy's bad, the next day this guy's the best thing in the world. Why? Because he's helping the government obtain their goal? 
That shouldn't change somebody's opinion on somebody. If you feel somebody's evil, if you feel their deeds were evil, let's even just start with that. Say you want to change the, per- you want to say the person's character changed and they, you know, they turned a new leaf and whatnot. Okay, I'll give you that. Even if I don't agree with it, I may give you that. But say you want to say that, for the purpose of uh, informants. Say you want to say that. How can you change your opinion on the act that they've committed? At the beginning, you were talking about how horrendous these acts were and how violent they were. Now that they're helping you out. You want to minimize it, and you want to say how they were harm, harmless, and how there really wasn't violence, and you want to skate around the issue and play with words just to soften the blow, so to speak, just to paint a better picture for the judge, or you know, for just to get on record, so for future testimony, you know, they have that, they have that uh, secured. You know, that's that's really something, and I see it time and again. Another example where I always see it. Even when you watch different shows, you know, like 2020 or 60 Minutes, you'll, you'll hear, if you ever notice when there's a suspect and the suspect um, fails, if there if fails a lie detected that test, if they're believed to be involved in a murder or believed to be involved in something, they'll fail a lie detector test. Although it's not allowed in court, if you ever notice, it'll be brought up every single chance they can. They'll bring it up in the press release. They'll bring it up. Uh, on shows like 2020, they'll bring it up in newspapers. They'll talk about how this person failed that lie detector test. But again, if a defendant passes a lie detector test, that goes against what they're trying to put out there, that goes against their narrative, that goes against their allegations, you won't hear a word about it. To the contrary, you'll, you'll actually hear motion after motion where they try to you know, say it's nonsense, say lie detector tests aren't uh, allowed in the court system, they don't count, but yet they'll use them many times to eliminate or to confirm a suspect's guilt. You know, that's something that I found very interesting. They'll use that a lot of times if they believe somebody's guilty of, of a crime, they'll give them a lie detector test. If they believe somebody has something to do with an individual disappearing, they'll give them a lie detector test, and they'll use that a lot to ev- either eliminate them as a suspect or to now focus on them as a suspect. So it has reliability in the investigation process because they're using it as a tool. But yet, if it works for the defendant's favor and it could exonerate them, then it means nothing. Then it doesn't count, forget about it, don't even listen to it. Think about that. Think about how strange that is and how hypocritical that is. That one tool alone could decide an investigation, a direction of an investigation. But yet, if it's used and the defendant's cleared from it, or the suspect's cleared, it just completely is meaningless. To me, that's very powerful. I mean, to me, that says a lot. That shows right there that obviously they believe in them. Obviously, they feel it's a valuable tool. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but it is a tool they use, so much so that it will direct an investigation sometimes. But yet, if if it comes out to where... It doesn't work to what they're trying to achieve goal-wise as far as who they want to pin a crime on. Then they don't use it. And again, I've said this since day one. I'm not talking about every single law enforcement. I'm not talking about every prosecutor. I'm not talking about every judge. The ones who do things the right way, I commend them. I really do because you can't say anything bad. All you could say is they're going by the law. They're doing their job and they're going by the law and they're going by regulations. That's all you want. As a defendant, 
as a part of a defense team, that's all you want. Just go by the facts, go by the law. We don't need anybody on our side. We don't need anybody to, to see things our way. We just need them to see the factual evidence and the supporting information that backs up our claims that our defendant's innocent. But to turn a blind eye, blind eye purposely and to look away from facts, that's where you got a problem. That's where integrity comes in. You know, and that's 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 what's lacking. That's where I have an issue with those individuals, with the individuals who are not there to follow the justice system and to follow how things should play out and to follow what is learned in every law school, in the textbooks, in the Constitution. You know, when that isn't followed, that's where I have a major problem. What's one for all, what's good for one should be good for all across the board because that's how it's written. There's nothing in there that says, well, change the law when it relates to Italian-Americans. Change the law when it relates to African-Americans. Whatever it may be. There's nothing in there that says that. Everybody's got to get a fair, a fair due process. Everybody's got to go through the channels properly. And everybody should receive the exact same treatment as they go through it. You know, to pick and choose what to use and how to twist things depending on the defendant, depending on the uh, high-profile nature of the case, that lacks integrity, and that's corruption, and that's that's a big problem at the highest level. You're playing with people's lives. Purposely, you're playing with their lives. Just to achieve a goal that you have in your hand, head, as I always talk about, been saying this since November, they feel the ends justify the means, but that's not how it works. That's not how the law works. I, you know, I can't say that enough. I actually bore myself by saying it so many times, but I got to say it again. And another, you know, this kind of leads me to another topic. It all kind of relates. You know, the judge really sets the tone in the courtroom. And what I mean by that is if you have a judge who's going fair and is dealing with the case in a manner whereas each side is getting a fair trial as possible and uh, the defendant the prosecution team, the defense team, they're, they're both getting equal shots at proving their case or disproving their case, however you want to look at it. The judge will determine that, and each side will fight based on that. So allow me to elaborate. If the prosecution or the state sees they have a judge that's very much on their side, you'll notice that the lack of formalities, uh, the lack of research when they put in motions will almost be of a substandard quality. I feel it drops as time goes by if you're dealing with a judge who constantly gives rulings in the prosecution's favor, regardless of how good their paperwork is, how good their citations are. If you have a judge who just keeps giving things to the prosecutor, they actually lower the bar of the entire process, because you'll notice as time goes by, you'll see these motions start out at the beginning. The citations will be on point. Everybody will have everything, you know, as, as tied up as possible and as thorough as possible. And as time goes by, they almost take a backseat. If they see they have a judge who's pretty much rubber stamping everything and giving them every ruling, regardless of the quality and regardless of the substance, it, it, it almost gives them a little bit of a vacation. You know, things drop down because, think about it, any any person, you're, you're dealing with somebody who's really not fighting your arguments, is really not pushing you to 
make sure that you have the law on your side to make sure your citations are accurate, to make sure whatever you're saying supports your argument. If you have somebody who's giving you rulings regardless of that, why would you invest the time and effort into that quality of work? You're going to take a back seat and just let the judge do their thing. You know, the judge is running the show. And it all goes back to my last episode and, and prior episodes, how much power a judge really has. People don't realize, the jurors don't realize how much they dictate how these things play out. And that alone, their demeanor alone and their rulings alone really dictate the whole case. You know, after a few hearings, you'll know right away if the judge is a fair judge, if the judge is a one-sided judge. You'll know right away. And then you'll see almost a change. You'll see a change in effort. You'll see a change in style. Because if you're confident, you're going to get the ruling regardless of how good your paperwork is or how good your citations are or how good your legal references are and you're going to get the ruling, you're going to almost go into autopilot. You know, you're going to put that bad boy in cruise control and just let the judge do their job. And when I say their job, they're, they're really not doing their job. They're doing their own personal job, their own personal agenda. They're just driving it out and they're just trying to make it appear as if things are going fair. But the rulings don't lie. The paperwork don't lie. You could read, you could follow cases, you could pull the motions. You know, all, a lot of this stuff is public unless it's sealed, so the, people could get a great idea of where the judge is at. You know, you could pull different arguments, and you could almost even keep a tally. You know, see how many rulings the defense got, and how many rulings the prosecutions got, based on their arguments. Obviously, I'm not saying you give a defense a ruling if they have arguments that fall short, or they're not referring or referencing any legal documentation or legal rulings that support what they're trying to say. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you have two sides and the defense is given viable arguments and, and, and everything's on point and everything's nice and tight and they're supporting everything, there's no opinions, everything's factual, they're giving you know rulings, they're citing, they're citing different courts, they're citing primary sources. If they're giving all of that and they're losing argument, motion after motion. They're getting denied motion after motion. And then you look at the prosecutor's end. And their citations are weak. They're convoluted. Uh, they're not definitive. They're almost... And they use this... This is used a lot, which confuses the heck out of me. It's, you know, they'll use the comment like, although this was never ruled uh, before, we're going to put it in anyway. So it's like, all right, so now you're trying to make law. You're trying to make law on this case. I mean, the justice system been around for a very long time. You can't find anything that supports the argument you're trying to make or the position you're trying to make. That alone should tell you something's not right. And then if a judge goes with that, even though there's nothing to support that, to me, that's a red flag. That's a red flag if there's no case law to support a government's position. And they admit it and they say, oh, we can't really find any case law. That's a red flag. I mean, you're trying to make law on a case after all these years, and, it, and and a case that isn't really that complicated, it's pretty black and white, and you're trying to make law on it, that right there, when you get those convoluted uh, motions followed by convoluted uh, rulings, that right there shows what's going on. That right there shows they're looking for almost the, it's almost as if I was talking about my last episode, ah, if I get it wrong, you know, take appeal me. Appeal me if I get it wrong. Make them overturn it. That's really what it's like. And time and again, I see that play out. And, and it's so much, so much is determined by the atmosphere in the courtroom. 
that the judge is giving off, you know, if and the rulings that they're giving. You know, you know right away what kind of judge you have. And when these prosecutors see the judge is pretty much going in their favor on every single motion, they're going to be very lax because what's the point? Why why go why work so hard? Why commit so much time and energy when you know your rulings are going to be approved anyway? And I always say that's not how it's supposed to work, and that's really not how it's supposed to work. The judge got to make both sides work. You know, to revert back to what I always say, it's not about, oh, it should be all defense. I don't say that at all, and you'll never hear me say that. For those who try to critique the podcast and try to make it as if I'm saying it it should all be the defendant, you're not listening to what I'm saying, and you, you must have your fingers in your ears because I've never said anything remotely like that. What I'm saying is it's just got to be fair for both sides. So even on that, on the judges, you know, the tone they want to set, make it equally as hard for both sides. Make sure that the lawyers are doing their jobs and make sure the prosecutors are doing their jobs. They want to put in a motion, make sure that that's a quality motion that has accurate references, that has accurate rulings. If they're referring to primary sources, make sure that's all you know, supportive, and then make your decision. Then try to go by what makes more sense. But if you have a defense motion that absolutely destroys, I mean, in our last case, some of the motions we put in were phenomenal. We had experts come in. We had the top guy for, he does uh, recusals. He testified in front of the Senate. I mean, I'm not going to get into his credentials, but the guy was the top in the field as far as judge recusals. Put in a phenomenal motion, it meant nothing. You know, it gets, uh, well, I, I determined it's inaccurate. Well, that's fine. Anybody could use their opinion to say they don't agree with somebody. But then you're not really being fair because you're not going by the supportive information. You know, if I have an opinion and I made my determination based on the facts I had at the time, let's just say, and then somebody who's an expert in a field comes to me and they enlighten me and they show me other ways of looking at it and they show me, they show me, um, rulings or they show me information or they show me data that kind of opens myself up where I'm second guessing my initial determination and conclusion. I have no problem explaining why I have now changed my opinion. There is nothing wrong with taking a step back and maybe digesting additional information that now swings how you initially felt because you are now more educated, or you absorbed more knowledge on a topic. There's nothing wrong with then switching things up and being like, okay, this was brought to light. This was brought to my attention. I was not aware of this. So now I'm going to switch things a little bit. But when you get somebody who's just so set, they don't want to hear anything. That's dangerous. And it does a lot of damage, regardless of the, you know, quality of work product that a defense team puts in. If it just gets knocked down time and again and almost just minimalized and made as if the information is nonsensical when in fact it is very strong. I mean, it's extremely strong. It, 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 it checks off every box needed. You know, when you're when you're going to school and you're learning about law and you're learning about how to put in a good motion, and you're learning about citations and you're learning about case law and you're learning about sources, primary sources, secondary sources... And when you see a motion has everything checked off and the opposing motion doesn't even come close and yet you lose, there's a problem. I mean, there's a big problem. And, and 
people don't see that. You know, they don't see what takes place behind the scenes. And that's frustrating. I mean, that's a huge thing. That's frustrating. And, and there's nothing really you could do about that. I don't know what the answer is. You can't hit a jury with everything that happened before trial. That's not their job. So I don't blame the jury for that. That's just, I guess, a, uh, a technical uh, procedural problem that I see. Because, man, if the jurors saw some of these motions put in before they got there, I really think there'd be a whole different outcome. You know, if they saw some of the evidence that was tried to be submitted, that was tried to be included in the jury, uh, in the trial, that was then not allowed, uh, it'd be a whole different story. But again, that's more of me just on a personal level venting because I don't, I don't know how you'd fix that. You know, I really don't. I, it, to me, the only way to fix that, the only way to fix that is to have a fair judge. And you don't have a say in that. You know, it's luck of the draw. Either you get one or you don't. And if you don't get one, boy, are you in for a ride. You know, and I just, I wanted to really talk about the um, the way things were changed. You know, and I think I got that point across. And what I mean by change is what I was discussing earlier, what I was referencing, just as far as, you know, what side of the table you're on. You know, if you're on team government and uh, your crimes are minimalized, and if you're on the defendant's side... Your, your crimes are really, really harped on and really dissected and really shown how heinous they may or may not have been. And I'm not saying, I just want to get this point across. I'm not saying whether the crimes are or aren't. I'm not getting into that. What I'm saying is if you take a stand on something, write it out the whole way. Don't flip-flop. If you feel what somebody did was bad, say it's bad throughout the whole course, whether they're a defendant, whether they're now working for the... Uh, government, for the state, stick with that the whole way. You know, just lay the cards on the table. Even if you're going for, say, leniency, just keep the same tone going. You go in front of the judge and you say, Judge, this informant has helped us. Yes, they did some heinous things in the act in the past. Uh, you know, yes, they were violent. Yes, they were this and that. But I do believe they're trying to turn over a leaf. They helped us in this way, in A, B, and C. Let's say you want to say that. Put it that way. Don't go back and try to now minimize what they did and trivialize it and make it like it's really not that big a deal. Like, ah, there was no violence. Like, are you kidding me? Flash back, you know, a year ago and, and read what the prosecutor was saying about those crimes. Now you want to trivialize it? Oh, I had a hard time with that word there. Now you want to do that and you want to make it like, uh, you know, it means nothing. It's not that big a deal. I mean, come on. How can anybody give somebody like that credibility? If you believe in something, stand by it and ride it out. Don't flip-flop. You know, and th th that's just, it, it's something that I thought was a good topic to explore because I think people will maybe start to think about that a little bit. Maybe it'll put it in some future juror's head. Well, you know, they should think to themselves, you know, I hear them describing these crimes now about this informant in front of me, and they're really, they don't sound like that bad. I wonder what took place when this guy was a defendant. I wonder how the government described it then. And that's really all I want to do, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to give you things to contemplate and things to kick around. And I'm going to give you my opinion on it. That's what the podcast is for. You know, um, I, I like to give my insight on it. I, I do get a lot of people who, who see it the way I see it, which is a good thing. And it's not that they're agreeing me that's a good thing. It's just a, a good thing in the sense that they understand what I'm trying to explain. They understand that it's not always, things aren't always as they appear. And it's important to understand the whole picture. 
You know, you can't just get pieces of a picture. You won't know what you're looking at. You know, it's like if, you, if you're looking at a painting and you get a little tiny snapshot of that painting, you'll have no idea what you're looking at. You know, if, if I take a, a little, if I take a screenshot of the Mona Lisa on my phone and I zoom in on one part and I show it to somebody, they're not going to know what they're looking at. They'll say, I'm looking at a, you know, yellow, uh, a piece of yellow, a uh, uh, a yellow marking. And now you zoom out and you see you're looking at the Mona Lisa. Well, that's a whole different story. Now you're going to look at that a little differently. And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show people that a lot of times, unfortunately, the jurors during trial are getting a tiny piece to look at. And they're showing that piece in such a way whereas it deflects from the greater picture. You know? Uh, you know, it reminds me actually of that movie, My Cousin Vinny, <laughs> where uh, Joe Pesci, he's explaining to Ralph Macchio, you know, how the uh, prosecutor is going to do their defense. And he's using a, a playing card, you know, and he's showing one side of the card how it's flat and it's big. It's talking about building, I guess, a, a brick house, if I remember correctly. And he's saying they're going to show you the, fl the flat side, you know, of the, of the playing card. They're going to show you that side, how it's big, how it's strong. But they're not going to put it on its angle where they show you how thin it is. And, it's, and that's what it's all about. It's just, I want the listeners to realize what's, if you do get the chance to serve on a jury, and Frank Morano actually brought it up. He said how it drives him crazy when people uh, don't want to ser serve on a jury. And I agree with him with that. You know, we're the only ones who could try to fix things in the system. You know, we're the last line of defense the jurors are. So if you're on that, panel and you see the judge isn't doing you know that the defense is losing ruling after ruling and objection after objection they're losing you gotta ask yourself why and take it seriously you know don't throw away that the, the well you shouldn't throw it away anyway but don't don't not want to appear on a jury because you could possibly help somebody who may be innocent and who may be a target or you you know you could possibly do some good and that's pretty much uh, all I got for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, this was episode 40. I can't believe I've done 40 of these already. And uh, it's, it's crazy. Time, time goes very too quickly. Way too fast. And I'll talk to you next time. Take care.